This episode was made with the support of justiceinfo.net. Most of the times we know there's no smoking gun. You will not find an order that says, please go and kill 8,000 people in Srebrenica. Justice plays an important role. I consider this tribunal a false tribunal and indictments false indictments. Such abhorrent crimes must not go unpunished. Proceedings will be long and complex. All rise. Welcome to Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast with me, Stephanie van den Berg. And me, Janet Anderson. For this episode, we're delving into the world of the PI, the private investigator into war crimes. Since 2012, there's been a new kid on the block, not a UN tribunal, not a commission of inquiry, not a state-backed court, but um, not even an NGO working on advocacy for victims, but a private entity funded to do war crimes investigations entrepreneurial justice, maybe it's called. Yes, CJA, the Commission for International Justice and Accountability, it was founded by Canadian war crimes investigator Bill Wiley, who's worked for the Office of the Prosecutor for the Rwanda and the former Yugoslavia tribunals. Um, it's been in the news recently, uh, mainly for not so nice reasons, uh, corruption allegations linked to another organization. But we're going to get to that later. Um, let's start off by saying who's on the other end of this uh, microphone recording. It's uh, Nurma Jelicic. Am I saying your name correctly, Nurma? Yes, you are. Great. And you're Deputy Director of, of CJA. Can you tell us a bit more about um, what evidence CJA has come come up with that's um, this part of the Anwar R trial in Germany that we've covered in a previous podcast, a higher ranking member of the Syria regime, um, allegations of torture. What have you been doing? Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity and inviting me uh, to join your great podcast. Um, to answer your question, uh, the Anwar R trial or the Koblenz trial, as we are calling it, is uh, only one of the um, trials that we have been supporting. Uh, in this particular case, our evidence has not been introduced yet, although the first witnesses who come from the German police have talked about their interaction with CJA and what kind of evidence they received in those early years of the investigation back in 2016, when they started looking into this particular case. So we are expected to uh, provide support and evidence in this trial, by which I mean not just documents, but also expert testimony. The evidence uh, we physically provide, provided to the German prosecutors through the police uh, are documents that come from the branches in which the uh, lead accused, Anwar A, was active, as well as uh, analytical and structural reports, expert reports on the, on the two units in which uh, he was uh, uh, active in 2011-2012 until he left, and uh, what the roles of these units are. So usually... The testimony that CJA gives in such trials would come towards the end when uh, they call expert witnesses and uh, they would hear not just our evidence, but also the methodology that is applied in collecting that evidence and authentication methods, etc. But, you know, you ask, uh, uh, you mentioned that trial. I just want to uh, also say, of course, we unfortunately haven't seen much action in uh, European courts pertaining to the Syrian regime officials, especially high commanding ones. So this is the first such case and everyone is of course aware of the importance of the case, not only because of this individual's alleged roles, but also because of the symbolism and the 
opportunity it gives us to present uh, evidence about the systematic nature of the crimes that took place under the regime uh, control. Those are, that's the case in, in Germany uh, regarding regime officials. Now, there's also a case in the Netherlands uh, with a former IS fighter that Sija uh, contributed to. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is that the case of the um, guy who was eventually convicted for photographing uh, corpses? This is the the case of uh, Osama Klafa. So it's a case that was adjudicated and concluded in July 2019, I believe, in the Netherlands. And it's the first one where we have seen a conviction of a former IS member, not only for the membership in a terrorist organization, but also for the war, war crimes. Uh, in this particular case, he was committed of a war crime of committing outrages upon human dignity and degrading treatment, as you referred to images uh, and pictures being one part of that case. But we have contributed to that case with the evidence as well, as well as to other cases that have already concluded in Germany and the US. Are you expecting a flood of cases from, from now on? I mean, is this now, now the tip of the iceberg? And are we now going to see a whole number of cases in which your evidence is going to going to be an important part? It is difficult for us to uh, make predictions, but I can talk about what we do behind the scenes, apart from the cases that are publicly known because they are on trial or have been concluded. We actively uh, support the law enforcement agencies coming from 14 countries. Most of these countries are in Europe. So out of these 14 countries, we have multiple law enforcement agencies asking for the support. So by last count, we are cooperating with the 36 of such agencies from those countries, in addition to multilateral criminal investigative bodies. To give you an example of how much work there is in the background, because of course we can't talk about other countries' active investigations, over the past 12 months, we responded to over 500 requests for assistance and requests for information on persons of interest coming from those law enforcement agencies. And that, of course, doesn't mean that there are 500 cases that are going to suddenly flood the public arena, but it means that there is so much going on in the background in terms of investigations that are initiated by the national authorities. And on top of that, of course, we have cases that are being pursued by international NGOs with the support of Syrian or Iraqi uh, organizations, depends on what we're talking about as well as the CJ's own tracking program, where our focus here is to try and uh, ensure that the cases we do see in Europe, because unfortunately that's the only avenue we have for accountability regarding Syria at the moment, that at least more of those cases are of a level and type of Anwar R case in Germany, command responsibility cases that would allow us to present more evidence of the systematic nature of the crimes overseen by the Syrian regime leadership. Nirma, I'm going to get slightly personal with you. You are Bosnian from Visegrad. You worked before as a Bosnian war crimes reporter and later as an ICTY spokesperson, which is also what I know you from. Now you're working with CJA. It's a really different organization than the, the kind of organizations you were before, the UN court. Why this organization? Why is this needed? And why kind of do you think with your experience of all these other things that this is what is needed now more than, I don't know, an international tribunal or a victim's organization pushing uh, uh, for claims? Well, let me 
try and answer it from the personal perspective as well. Uh, and I think my trajectory and, uh, and journey to join Siege actually answers your question. Uh, the early years of the war in Syria, uh, the early months especially, very much reminded me uh, of, uh, of Bosnia. And I was very keen while I was, I was still with the tribunal to engage with the Syrian communities and NGOs there and often took time off from the tribunal to go to the borders and work with the Syrian NGOs in 2011 and 12. At that time, I heard of this new initiative on the ground, but of course it was very secretive. No one knew who they were. Of course, there was a lot of speculation about uh, whether it was uh, driven by intelligence services or some such uh, uh, factors. And then when I found out that these people were focusing on documents and linkage evidence, the light in my head clicked and all the frustrations that at that time we were going through in the tribunal, in other courts, over the years where the cases were failing for lack of linkage evidence, made me realize, ah, well, this is that gap. This is that gap that needs an answer and that uh, uh, gave me an inspiration actually at that time when I was very disappointed with the international justice system. Uh, because of what was happening in The Hague, to remain in this field. And then it took me uh, a while to figure out who stands behind it. But this is, in the end, how CJA started, or how the idea of CJA started. It wasn't, we were, of course, aware from all the previous conferences that you have great NGOs, international, local activists, who focus and do great work collecting crime-based evidence. And that's so important. We've seen it used so often in The Hague courtrooms. But the one thing that has been missing and that made the life difficult for prosecutors was the linkage evidence. And he was an attempt to, to, to secure that while the conflict is ongoing. I'm going to just jump in and say crime-based evidence means interviewing witnesses about what they saw from atrocities. And then maybe you can uh, explain a bit more what linkage evidence is and how it's used. Yes, of course. In, in order to hold high-level or ranking officials, especially leadership, responsible for the crimes that are committed, you of course need to link them to the crimes. We all know that often, most of the times, they are hundreds of kilometers away. And uh, and most of the times we know there's no smoking gun. You will not find an order that says, please go and kill 8,000 people in Srebrenica. So that uh, you, know, you just need one witness or one piece of paper. So in order to build that linkage between what the victim says and the crimes that happened to him, uh, or her to the individuals who are physically and otherwise removed from those crimes and the direct perpetrators themselves, you need to build an understanding of the structures that have been put in place that allowed, encouraged, or didn't punish such crimes after they happened. So that was the focus on us. Collecting the, in, in Syrian regime case, the focus was on collect documents, primarily documents produced by uh, different parties of the regime, mainly security intelligence agencies, but also political parties and, and other mechanisms close to the uh, top leadership level. And, uh, and that's what made this an, a really unprecedented level. It, the whole situation reminded me of the former Yugoslavia, where you remember after all of the conflicts ended by the end of the 1990s, when the tribunal cross, uh, investigators were able to go to the conflict-affected areas, they had to ask for cooperation of the states that were involved in the conflict. And the states were still run by the people who ran them during the conflict. 
So, of course, it was very difficult and impossible for many, many years to obtain access to the documents produced by the state organs in Serbia, in Croatia, until there was a regime change. And of course, you know, we had the, in those years, early years, especially a very similar situation in Syria. So let's see, can we com- collect these documents now while there is an opportunity so that we can save the time one day when there is a referral to the ICC, because at that time we were talking about referral to the ICC on the international arena or a Syrian uh, special court, such that the prosecutors who start working in those uh, on those cases can already start going through the linked evidence and can already start charging high-ranking individuals and not start with foot soldiers as we did in former Yugoslav tribunal. Uh, just to let everybody know, we're recording this um, under the weird conditions that we keep on recording this podcast at the moment with Nurma in some nameless office uh, some other place and Stephanie surrounded by uh, blankets and uh, me in uh, in some kind of soundproof cubicle and uh, if you get any glitches your end then it's because it's just tough to do the recording this way around but uh, hopefully we we've managed to smooth it out for you. Now what what I wanted to ask you is I think you've described what kind of evidence this is but I, I want to understand how exactly you do it because you know getting hold of this stuff this is physically quite tough get hold of this stuff I mean apart from photographs maybe which might be digital otherwise it must be kind of physical pieces of paper maybe or or, and is it um, I've I've read in places that you've had to embed yourself with various armed groups in order to get access to things I mean what what's the process that you've used I know that's a bit broad but give us some examples there isn't one methodology that is employed for all situations that we investigate. So, of course, the methodology has to be adapted to uh, the specific conflict and the specific phase of the conflict. Syria is a great example there. You will have seen uh, in the media articles about Siege's work, those that came out, I don't know, in 2014 or 15, when they were uh, discussing how we worked in the first years of the Syrian conflict. Yeah, we worked, we had access to the areas that uh, were taken over by the FSA. We were never embedded with the FSA, but we had an understanding with the moderate factions of the FSA. What's the FSA, Nama? Uh, the Syrian army at the time. So we had in certain areas of Syria, not all of them, the support, if you will, of uh, or the permission of FSA, uh, the Free Syrian Army commanders, for our investigators to access the sites that they have taken over before they do anything. And I'll tell you why that uh, happened, because in the 2011 and early 2012, when uh, even I was going from The Hague to do trainings with uh, civil activists, uh, activists from Syria and others, they would often come and show these YouTube videos of uh, celebrations when uh, FSA would take over control of a regime facility, and the celebrations were very often followed by the burning of uh, either a political uh, or security intelligence facility, and uh, it pained us to see the documents burning in them. So we said, well, hey, how about we first uh, let our people, our, our people in to get these documents, and then you can celebrate. And that's how it worked for as long as there were moderate factions within the FSA and they held control of certain territories. That was uh, in the early years when at the times we could get huge, huge amounts of the documents in one go. And that 
that wasn't as dangerous as then moving those documents from that location to another safe location in Syria to another one, and then across the border and to our headquarters, and all the while maintaining and preserving the chain of uh, custody of evidence. And But you know that the Syrian conflict has changed a lot since 2015, that the territory from which we extracted, I believe, the first 500,000 uh, pages of documents, all of that territory is now controlled again by the Syrian regime. So had we not set, secured those documents, including the ones from the Anwar A case, back in 2013 and 14, we would not see them now. We would not be able to use them in the current or future uh, justice processes. And, uh, and our methodologies, of course, have to change. But we continue and maintain being active inside Syria, even, uh, even today, even last year, which was very challenging security-wise. We've managed to secure quite a considerable amount of documents. And uh, to, to give you to comparison, in Iraq, it was different. Investigating IS in Syria and in Iraq, uh, we had a quite a different approach where we in Syria obviously do not have the support or acknowledgement or approval of the Syrian government to allow us to work inside the country. But in Iraq, we did have a, and do have a memorandum of understanding with the Kurdistan regional government who allowed us access to the crime sites of the Islamic State in that uh, area under their control. So again, it depends on the conflict and on the area in which we are working uh, in. Just a quick question, like physically, though, uh, I know I remember listening to Rukmini Kamiaki's uh, Caliphate podcast, where she also collects uh, ISIS documents and she's like crossing the border with bin bags full of documents. How do you manage to physically get these documents across the border? I assume it's not all electronically rendered, so you have to get the physical documents over. So you, do you actually have people... Uh, walking around with bin bags to collect suitcases. Uh, in- it's suitcases, isn't it? Yeah, we've released we we released some pictures publicly of how collection looks, just to illustrate it from the early early years again. And uh, and one of those includes trucks with the uh, suitcases, banana boxes, etc., <laughs> in which these documents were stuffed. We don't do any triage of the documentation in the field. We don't scan them there. Our first and foremost priorities, as long as security issues allow, is to get the originals out. That is a very, very complex process. Uh, you need to get them out safely within Syria itself, and then you have to get them out safely across the border and ensure that nobody opens those boxes and therefore breaks chain of custody. So, so it's a complex procedure which we had to practice a lot in the first year, but it's all in place. So now to preserve the chain of evidence, am I envisioning sealed boxes? Is that kind of what it's it's like? You have to have some kind of seal to preserve it so that it can be seen that it isn't tampered with? It's not just the seals. You have to keep uh, you have to keep a written track, of course, of the movement of the evidence and who handles it, because it's not the, the person who sources the evidence in the first place that ends up bringing it here. So it changes depending on the situation two or three times or sometimes more. So it isn't only that the seals have to be in place. It's also that we have to have documents that show the processes uh, and the journey of each of those boxes. Out of all of this, Nurma, though, I'm still not sure, why is seizure itself necessary? Why wouldn't you just train local NGOs to do this work and to collect all the stuff and to, to own it? You know, what what purpose does seizure serve? Mm-hmm. So the purpose is when we 
when we started looking into this, obviously there wasn't a local capacity. CJ is not international. CJ is uh, made up of, I would say, more individuals who come from the affected countries than internationals. I'm sorry, I don't have exact figures here in front of me, but if I was to use an example, our headquarters have 30, maybe 34 individuals, but uh, overall we have over 100 individuals in the field. So the fact that mainly people with Western names, apart from me, <laughs> appear in public representing CJA, it does not mean that that is CJA. We do not prevent our investigators or indeed analysts coming from affected countries from appearing publicly. They have that opportunity should they wish to, but they all prefer not to because they want to focus on their work. And of course, they have very, very serious security concerns. So, to, but to go back to the core of your question, why is it necessary? It is because in a conflict such as Syria, it could not and still cannot be done solely by our Syrian nationals. Number one, where we have managed and had a great success is in building the Syrian investigative capacity, where these individuals, men and women who have worked on both regime and the Islamic State side of the teams, have been with us for years. We don't have a huge turnover and we don't do the classroom training type. We mentor, we have international investigators with years of experience working with them day in, day out, based on the borders or in the areas of conflict. So they are now not just a mere collective, they are able to carry investigations independently. Yeah, so how is it that you're, you're operating now? We, we maintain our investigative presence in the field and the collection is very much still ongoing, especially in Syria, even at the time of the pandemic. Of course, what keeps us most busy now in the headquarters is the cooperation with law enforcement. And for that, we need to engage experts who you will have known who worked as expert analysts on military, political or other issues in the international tribunals or the international courts. And this is how that documentation is then assessed and uh, turned into expert analysis or specific legal briefs, etc. Now, We've never been set up to be permanently based in any conflict situation in which we work. It is unfortunate and definitely wasn't Siege's desire to be engaged in Syria for so long. It's unfortunate that the conflict has unfolded the way it did and that it has taken so long to take at least some steps on the international political level to provide an accountability avenue for the Syrians. So, of course, we have the UN resolution, General Assembly resolution that established the investigative uh, uh, mechanism for Syria, which we uh, are cooperating with and insofar as that they have all of the evidence that CJA has, they have, and all of the legal briefs that CJA built they also have. So we've stopped building those legal briefs. When I say legal brief, I'm talking about when we had focus on the highest ranking individuals. How far does evidence lead us? As you know, some of our cases include and inculpate President Assad and those closest to him in the crimes that were happening. We've stopped doing that already for over a year and a half. And we are just focusing on what is still not covered. There is no access to public for public bodies, including the UN, to the crime sites. There is no access to Syria and there will not be access to Syria because they need uh, Assad's permission, which is not likely to be forthcoming. So for as long as there is need and interest, 
we can maintain the investigative capacity. And for now, we maintain the uh, capacity to answer requests for assistance for the law, from the law enforcement agencies in these European countries that I mentioned uh, before. So that's uh, where we stand now. To give you an opposite example, in Iraq, the situation is quite different. And of course, we also have a UN body there, UNITAD, uh, established by the Security Council resolution. And because of its mandate and because of the situation in which they are, they, they are already based inside Iraq. So uh, we have a memorandum of understanding and cooperation with them. And uh, in that case, we are pulling out completely our field presence from, uh, from Iraq in this current year as we start handling, handing over all of the evidence to, to the unit. So it really depends on the situation. But it also goes back to your question, well, why does CJ exist? It only exists when there is a gap and when uh, public uh, bodies, public investigative bodies do not have access to those areas which they need to have access to in order to collect evidence that they require. So uh, just in the last uh, few weeks, um, the organisations come into the news. There's been um, news of a kind of corruptions investigation into European Union contracts run by um, a, a public body called OLAF, and it's looked into another entity which is run by CJA's founder, William Wiley. You must be getting a lot of questions about this and, and asking what effect this has on CJA's work. Well, to answer the latter first, no, we're not getting any questions or hardly any questions uh, to our surprise. I'm uh, grateful that you are raising it. And uh, what I can uh, say is, and what didn't come out in the couple of media articles that we have seen so far, which are going through the complaints procedure themselves, is that there has been no investigation by OLAF, the EU uh, body that you referred to, of any grant that has been awarded to CEJA. That's why the reporting we have seen uh, so far is very, very misleading. And then the commentary of that reporting is even more misleading. There has been no fraud or collusion by CJA or the company that you mentioned to defraud any donors. Now, the individual, the people who are aware of this and the rumors are, of course, our donors who are helping us get through the misleading commentary and the reporting that is taking place. So what happened? There is in March, there is an article that comes out in a Belgian newspaper that alludes to things. It doesn't name names. Um, what do you do? When we became aware of the rumors, it was us. We asked Olaf whether this is an investigation pertaining uh, to CJAN. If it was, would we be able to see the file or the charges that they claim? And they have refused to share the same with us. So it is difficult to us to enter into a public debate about the accusations of fraud that we have not been seen or informed about or provided uh, with, as would uh, indeed be anyone's right who is accused of any type of crime to, to, to understand what those crimes are. So we haven't been informed of being accused of fraud. We haven't seen any investigative file that accuses CJA of fraud. And we continue to enjoy the support of our donors to get to the bottom of the press release and what it is really about. But I can't talk about that case because as I haven't. Nobody else in CJA has uh, seen it. 
This isn't the first time that Siege uh, has been uh, heavily criticised and there's a whole world of disinformation around the Syria conflict. I mean, how much time do you have to spend do, dealing with uh, people criticising you because they have an axe to grind on Syria itself? Well, not not much. I'm trying to... Let me think how best uh, to explain this. While we are an NGO and set up as an investigative body. And that's why you don't see us so publicly involved in Twitter discussions, Facebook arguments, etc. Our end customer or consumer of the product in Syria, Syria-related for now, and unfortunately only for now, are the national law enforcement agencies. They've been through the methodology, they've been through the evidence, they've been through the expert capacities of CJA, and it's their recognition and repeat returns to CJA day in, day out, with dozens of requests for assistance from each area, that is the recognition that the model works. And uh, as we want to maintain that investigative focus, and we cannot afford to open too much to the public debates that might be politically or otherwise inspired. Now, you, as, a, as you, Stephanie, said, we met first, and, and you, Janet, when I was working in the ICTY in a completely different role, when I was really fighting to open up an institution to, uh, to the uh, journalists and others publicly. And I have tried to do that, and I think we've done that with CJA as much as we can. We've invited the media in, we've invited uh, researchers, who've written in-depth articles and reviews of our methodology and our work, not always positive, also negative and critical and raising concerns. We're totally open to this. But there's simply what I'm saying is there is a limit to which we can do in engaging a debate on uh, social media or the wider forums. But we are always happy to engage uh, in those discussions within our own community, if I can call it that, of uh, international criminal justice practitioners and observers as and when required. Thanks very much. Thanks for enlightening us on what CJA has done, how it's being used in European court and what it's doing now, and also to address a bit of the controversy that we've heard about. And um, we'll sure to keep an eye on the CJA cases and we'll sure to get back into contact with you when those things progress. Thanks, Nama. Please do. Thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, best of luck with all the rest of the podcast. I look forward to hearing next guests. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. It is published in partnership with justiceinfo.net. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.